0: Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who had told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what happened. And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those Who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do Doubts arise in your hearts. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish For the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them while he blessed him blessed them he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing god let's pray father please show us this morning how the resurrection brings hope to our lives If there are those in here who are weak and needy, would you sustain them? If there are those who are living in unrepentant sin, then please convict them. If there are those who are full of guilt and shame, would you comfort them? And if there are those who have no idea who you are, Allow their hearts to burn within them this morning like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. I pray this in your son Jesus' name. I ask that your Holy Spirit would be so present. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to the final chapter of Luke. And if you remember the beginning at all, maybe you don't, it's okay, I'm going to fill you in, Luke is writing an orderly account to the Most High Theophilus, friend of God. Luke is a doctor by trade, but also has this investigating mind. And so what he did is he took it upon himself to write an orderly account of the things of Jesus. And so what we will see is Luke finishing part one of his orderly account. Part two is the, the book of Acts. In the most magnificent and amazing, hopeful way possible. The resurrection of Jesus. However, for most, and we even see for the disciples, the resurrection is a stumbling block. C.S. Lewis even coined the phrase that either Jesus was a, a liar, a lunatic, or a lord. And it all hinges on chapter 24 of Luke, or the resurrection. If what Jesus had been doing these past three years to be from God. Then the resurrection must happen because everything else that Jesus had done, if the resurrection is not true, is meaningless. In fact, Paul takes this up and says, we are to be pitied amongst amongst most men or all men if the resurrection did not happen because that would mean that Jesus' life it was a fraud. He was either a liar tick, uh, a liar tick, uh, a liar or a lunatic and not a lord. And so for most the resurrection is a stumbling block, but for those whom the Holy Spirit indwells, the resurrection produces an assured And so what I'm going to do today, like I said earlier, is break this up into four parts. Part one, for those who love to take notes, here you go. Part one is verses 1 through 12. Part two is verses 13 through 35. Part three is verses 36 through 49. And part... Four is verses 50 through 53. You see, the resurrection produces assured hope because everything that Jesus has said, if the resurrection is true, has to be true. Look, If a person who can predict his own death and resurrection actually pulls that off, then I'm going to go with that guy and trust that everything else that he has said is true. (laughs) And so we come to verses 1 through 12. We can have hope that Jesus is alive. Well, what do I mean by this? Well, we see that after the Sabbath, the the women who had prepared the spices go to the tomb to put spices around him. This was an ancient custom because they didn't bury people. They put them in tombs. The tombs would have started to smell. And so in order to decrease the um, odor and to allow the body to preserve better, they would put spices on them and around them a few days after the death. And so... The, the women had come to put the spices on Jesus, and they get there and they see the most startling sight. The huge stone that was rolled over Jesus' tomb is away. Now this is significant for two reasons. One, that it is women that are going to the tomb first, and that the stone is rolled away. The first is, is it's this massive stone. Now, there wasn't weightlifting competitions for women back in the first century for Jewish people, and so for the few women that went, for them to roll the stone away would have been nearly impossible. But also, I think what we're seeing here is this, the graciousness of God that these women were there till the end with Jesus, and I think that God is honoring them by allowing them to be the first ones to know that Jesus is alive. And and how does God make that known to them? As the women are standing there, amazed or perplexed, is what our passage says, there were two men that were standing there in dazzling apparel. So dazzling that the women are frightened. They're freaked out. They're scared to the point that they fall on their faces. There are two angels that are standing there, and the angels bear testimony or witness about Jesus. The angels tell them, He is not here. Well, first they start, I love this. Why do you seek the living among the dead? This is a a quick little statement. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Remember, don't you remember how Jesus told you while he was still in Galilee? Jesus told you this. Jesus told you this. He said that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. So why are you here? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Did not Jesus tell you in Galilee that he must be delivered over and crucified, and on the third day rise again? Jesus isn't here. He's alive. This is coming straight from the mouth of angels. And so what's the first thought of these women to do? They take off. They run. They have to go and tell the 11 disciples. We just saw an angel, and the angel told us, Jesus is not dead. He's alive. Remember in Galilee when he told us that he had to be crucified, that he would be delivered over, but on the third day he would rise again? Do you know what is a shame here? Is how the eleven disciples respond to their testimony. They believe it's just an idle tale, they don't believe the women. But there was faith, just enough faith in Peter to get up and run. Run to the tomb and look. And what he saw was an empty tomb with Jesus' clothes laying in there, or the linen cloth. Now, there are a lot of ways that people try to explain this away. There's the popular Jewish thought that Jesus was just stolen. But this is why it's important to know Luke is writing an orderly account. Because here's the thing. Have you ever heard of somebody breaking into a house to fold up their laundry, but to take other things? I've never heard of a, a thief decided to break into a house and fold up laundry and to leave it there. No, the thief usually takes everything because the thief wants as much as a thief can get. So for the body to be stolen is, I'll use this word because it's the only one that's coming to my mind, preposterous. It couldn't happen. And Luke just throwing in this little uh, detail here isn't a mishap. He's showing that a grave robber wouldn't have left behind linen cloths, he would have taken them. So why is it that these linen cloths are here? The only reason why they possibly could be here is then what the angel said to be true, is that Jesus is not dead, but he's alive. So since Jesus is alive, we can have confidence then in what is about to happen everything that Jesus has said and will say, we can have hope and assured confidence that what he has said is true. And this is so comforting. Because how many times in this life as the weight of the world weighed you down to second guess your calling, your relationship with Jesus? How many times have thoughts and feelings and fiery arrows shot by spiritual warfare crept into your mind to say, this isn't real, I'm just going to give it up? here's the thing, is that we can have assured hope and confidence in what Jesus has said because Jesus has risen from the dead. He is not dead, but alive. And so then that leads right into the second point, is that we can have hope in God's plan, we can have hope in God's word. We see this amazing conversation play out and here's the thing there there's an an argument in the academic world saying that jesus was a serious man i think this passage shows us that jesus had a humorous side to him because as jesus or as these two disciples are walking seven miles from jerusalem to the city of Emmaus. They're talking about the things that happened and Jesus kind of strolls right up next to him, and they don't understand that Jesus is next to them. There's a spiritual blindness to them. He asks them what's going on. And the, unfortunately, this guy, Cleopas, gets known as the, the guy who asks Jesus himself, Hey, how, how do you not know what's going on here? <laughs> But he says, how don't you understand to Jesus? Are you the only one who has no clue what has just happened? And he goes on to give him a great theological explanation of why Jesus came. That they thought that he would be the Messiah. But it was those darn chief priests and elders that crucified him. And he's died. But the most strange thing happened. Some women, a part of our company, came to us. They went to his tomb and said that he wasn't there. And I just imagine Jesus, as he's asking more and more questions, just drawing out their disbelief in their heart. Because then he goes on to say... Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? If, if there is one thing, if you were to ask me, Max, if there is one thing that you could be a part of in the whole entire history of Jesus's life, what would it be? I wish I could be a part of this conversation because what's about to happen next is the most incredible conversation anything i would take this conversation over seeing peter and jesus walking on the water i would take this conversation over the the feeding of the multitudes even over jesus raising lazarus from the dead because what he's about to explain here is absolutely incredible jesus starting with moses and all the prophets he interpreted how all of scripture pointed to him Every ounce of the Bible isn't about us, but Jesus is saying every ounce of the Bible points towards him and why he ultimately came. He started with Moses, which just means he he started with Genesis. And he goes all the way through to the prophets. And later on, we see that he explains to the 11 and those that were with him later how the Psalms also points to him. I would like to think that maybe what Jesus is saying is, in Genesis, I am the Word. I'm the Word who spoke all things into existence. I'd like to think in Exodus, Jesus says, I am the Passover Lamb that has been crucified and slaughtered to save the nations, to save the world. I'd like to think in Leviticus that Jesus is saying, do you remember the serpent that was raised up when people were bitten by snakes, the golden serpent that Moses rose? I am the one who was risen up on the cross so that those who look at me and confess their sins could be rid of the poison of sin that is killing their souls. I'd like to think that then Moses or that Jesus is then going to the book of Isaiah and saying, I am the suffering servant who has come to take on the sins. Or going to the book of Micah and explaining, I am the son who's from Bethlehem that would redeem the world. Or going to Proverbs and saying, you know, when Solomon wrote the Proverbs, I am wisdom embodied. Or talking about Solomon saying, I am wisdom the groom, and you are my bride, and I have perfectly loved you. I think this is what Jesus was explaining to them. It's that every single book of the Bible points to his deliverance over his crucifixion and his rising three days later. this is incredible. This is a weight off of our shoulders. Because we could never accomplish what Jesus has accomplished. It's a weight off our shoulders knowing that we aren't the main character. But that Jesus is. And that Jesus has come to save us. To reconcile us back to himself. this is exactly what he's telling these disciples here who are on the road. And yet, the amazing thing is that these disciples have absolutely no clue that this is Jesus telling them. They're completely blind to it. But because the disciples are wanting more, what do we see? We see that then the disciples asked Jesus, come and eat with us. <laughs> and I, I, I do think that Jesus lies, likes to just draw our hearts out because we see that he was going to go a bit farther. At least, we're told that he acted as if he was going to go farther. But the disciples pleaded with him more and more, no, 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 come, come and eat with us. They wanted to know more. They were invested in what Jesus was saying to them. And as they are eating, Jesus breaks the bread and bam. They recognize that it was Jesus the whole entire time. And they go on to say, did our hearts not burn within us? when he was teaching us these things? Do you know what I find incredible about this part? Jesus does not say, yeah, the testimony of those women is true. That's who I am. He doesn't even start off with saying, oh yeah, yeah, I, I am the one who is the crucified Savior. I I am alive. Jesus does the same exact thing when he's tempted by Satan. He goes straight to the Scriptures. He goes straight to the Scriptures and says, no, see, the whole entire time, the whole entire time, this is what it was going to look like. He doesn't riff on his own understanding of it. No, he goes to the Scriptures and says, the Scriptures, the whole entire time, prophesied about this very moment in history. He uses the the Scriptures to bear testimony about himself. And so, what we can learn from this is that we can have hope in God's plan by looking at the Scriptures, knowing that the Scriptures are perfect. That they are sufficient for us. That God's word is completely true without error. I mean, it's amazing to think that the first thing that Jesus goes to to teach these disciples on the road is the word of God. And yet far too often, don't we put our hope in different things, different sayings? I mean, there are a lot of great cliche sayings written on coffee mugs that are now at goodwill. Jesus doesn't give a cliche saying. He goes straight to the scriptures to bear testimony about himself. We can have hope in the sufficiency sufficiency of God's word. And so when you are downcast, when you are fighting for hope, when you are tempted, there's hope in God's word. There's hope that what God has said is true. Why? Because Jesus seemed to believe that. And if Jesus is the resurrected Lord then I'm going to go with what Jesus thinks. But this then leads to our third point. Is that there is hope that while we are looking and wrestling with the word of God, looking for that hope, that hope in the resurrection means that Jesus makes himself known To us. This is verses 36 through 49. The disciples from the Emmaus road that have this conversation with Jesus after the supper. I mean, think about this. Seven miles to Emmaus, from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and right after Jesus breaks the bread and they have this little conversation amongst themselves. Within that hour, they're already packing up their bags to walk seven miles back. Seven miles isn't a short walk. Let alone then to do it back. Fourteen total miles that these men walked, and they walked it back, and they went to the disciples, and they said, we have seen Jesus. Not only that, during this time, Jesus also showed himself to Peter. This is the account when Jesus goes to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Three times, and Peter says, I do. I do, Jesus. And so Jesus has revealed or shown himself now three times to the women, to Peter, and to these two disciples. And as these 11 are kind of contemplating what in the world is going on here, bam, out of nowhere, Jesus appears. And they're startled. They're frightened. They have no idea what to think. First thing that Jesus says is peace to you. Peace to you out of all of the things that Jesus could have said to them. He says, peace to you. Let me just say it like this. All of these disciples fled. They abandoned. They backslid. And yet Jesus comes in and he draws near to them and he says, peace to you. Jesus never once in this section rebukes his disciples. Instead, what Jesus does is he comforts and confronts their disbeliefs. He says, oh, you're disbelieving hearts right now? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. He even goes so far to say, a spirit does not have flesh. Oh, by the way, give me some food because my stomach's a little hungry. And so it is with us. The resurrection brings hope because Jesus now draws near to us. He doesn't doesn't draw back, but instead he comes close. He's not looking at the times that you've backslidden. Or the times of your disbelief. Saying, you know what? I'm going to go there, I'm going to open up the door, I'm going to slam it and say, what do you think that you're doing, disbelieving? Didn't you listen to me? No, what he does is he draws near. And he says, peace to you. And he comforts and confronts your disbelief in him. And we see then the same thing that Jesus does to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, is that he starts to teach them and show them through his word how it all it all was about him. Jesus draws near to all of our doubts and worries and shows us that our hope in him is not meaningless. Which then leads to the last and final point here, verses 50 through 53, or, or I'll actually back up a little bit for this. 49 through 53 is that there's hope in his arrival. Jesus goes on to tell the disciples. He says, behold, I am sending the promise of my Father. This is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is sending the promise of the Father. This is the Holy Spirit, which brings us hope, which comforts us, which helps us. And so, we end the gospel of Luke in a joy-filled way. The disciples, verse 53 52 and they worshiped we we end part one of Luke's writing the gospel according to Luke in joy and hope in the arrival of the promised comforter there is hope in the resurrection There is hope in the resurrection. There is hope in the resurrection. Let's pray. God, we pray. We come before you. We are unworthy. Servants, and yet you look at us as children. There's hope in your son's resurrection. Through his resurrection, we can now draw near. Through his resurrection, we can now gather as one body, one people of all tongues and nations and tribes and worship you as brothers and sisters. And so I do pray that as we leave here today, God, that your spirit would bring hope to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.